Amen. Good morning. Uh, would you stay standing and grab your Bibles and please open to Exodus 20, verse 8. We're going to be covering 8 through 11 this morning. <clears throat> Starting in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the, sab the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Um, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of mercy, that you are a God who has given us not only the opportunity to know you, Lord, through Jesus Christ, but you designed the week so that we would have time to glorify you and love you more. God, I pray this morning that your word would speak and through your Holy Spirit that we would be ready to hear. Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way, Lord, in my weakness and that you would teach us this morning, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Again, good morning. Ekomamai. My name is Andrew. If we haven't got the chance to meet yet, um, I help lead a community group here at Shorebreak. Uh, and in recent months, we've been working through the book of Exodus. And in recent weeks, specifically, we've been hitting the Ten Commandments. And so, Today, uh, we're stepping through the fourth commandment, which we've just read together. So to start off, I just want to ask a question. How do we rest? If we were to get an answer from every person in here, the answers for sure would undoubtedly uh, be varied in a lot of ways on how we spend our time. Some of us would say that rest is simply just having a day off of work. Others may be putting on your favorite Netflix show for an hour or two. Uh, Rest might be for some grabbing a book or a news article and taking 15 away to just get away from the busyness of life and the busyness of reality. Others, it might be getting exactly eight hours of sleep every night and just squeezing in a 20-minute 20, 20 nap somewhere in the afternoon. But whether or not these are the ways that we rest, uh, I did come across an American time use survey from participants in 2015. And it's just interesting to see how people use their time. Uh, and this article is no less interesting. According to the survey, these are some findings of how people age 15 and older were using their leisure time over the course of a day. Socializing and communicating, 41 minutes a day. Reading, 19 minutes a day. Sports, exercise, recreation, 18 minutes. Watching TV, two hours and 47 minutes a day. Relaxing and thinking, 17 minutes a day. That is mind-blowing to me. I don't know how you think for only 17 minutes a day. I overanalyze everything. Um, but these items tell us something about how people spend their time of rest and leisure. And some of us really struggle with giving up our time. It is costly to give our time. That's just a reality of life. And so when we read this fourth commandment, what is our initial response? Is it a begrudging response? Do we, do we hold on to it tightly? Is it a thankful response? Are we looking forward to that time? What would the response have been for the Hebrew people when they originally were commanded this by God? 
We have to rightly understand what the Sabbath meant for the Hebrew people as a command from God. And I think if we can understand that, I think our chances of understanding the right response to this command will be cleared up for us even more. There's a reason why God gave this command to his people. It was not that God was selfish and needed more of his people's time, but there are actually underlying purposes within this commandment. The word Sabbath is one of those words that feels common to us while also simultaneously feeling completely foreign to us. We don't use it a lot in our everyday. Uh, Sometimes we associate the word uh, with Sunday because we Christians have often designated Sunday as the day we attend church and Sabbath. Uh, We can easily hear the word and gloss over it because after all, we're sitting in church right now. Uh, I made it to church. I'm good. I'm Sabbathing. But I want to say up front that I break this command. Um, I haven't had the complete balance of how to Sabbath rightly. But through an understanding of God's word, there's a reality to the Sabbath that I want us to be able to see and hold on to this morning. There's a truth that the Sabbath puts away lost time and thoughts of begrudging dedication once a week. There's a nature to the Sabbath that I think will cause us to love God more and desire to obey his command with more of our hearts. And so as we consider the Sabbath and unpack it a bit, we're going to touch on three different kind of aspects of it. What this commandment meant for the Hebrew people, uh, what this commandment calls us to, and how can we Sabbath and rest well in light of those things. So where does this idea of the Sabbath come from? Uh, what, What was the significance for it? for the Hebrew people. And so the underlying Hebrew word for Sabbath comes from shavath, which means to cease, to rest, to desist from exertion or labor. Uh, it points to really a break in the cycle of life. It includes this aspect of rest that we're, we're really familiar to know the Sabbath as. But is this the first time that we are seeing the word Sabbath? Is, is this a new thought for us in the story of Exodus? Uh, within the text today we read, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We see the commandment here, but we will also remember the Sabbath is actually not a new thing for the Hebrew people. The Lord is telling the people of Israel to remember the Sabbath. They actually had previous knowledge of what the Sabbath was like. If you recall from a few weeks back, Garrett spoke on Exodus 16, where God was already giving these people a solace from the weight of their former lives of slavery in Egypt. So in chapter 16, we see how God commanded the Hebrew people to rest. It occurs after they have received manna from heaven. It said, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So God has already really presented the Sabbath uh, to the Israelites. Um, And so when the fourth commandment comes into place, there would be no confusion as to what God was referencing with the Sabbath. But there are other questions we should also be asking about why this commandment made sense for the Israelites. The fourth commandment can be broken down into three different pieces. It tells us three things, what to do, how to do it, and why to do it. The first of these points is the what question. What is God ultimately calling his people to do through this command? Why did he give it? What's the purpose of it? God commands, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And this term, keep it holy, is pointing really toward the idea of to prepare, to consecrate, uh, to be separate. So the commandment isn't inherently driving toward guidelines and actions per se, but rather toward a dividing off of a single day to be separate. So the, for the Hebrew people, they needed to be, uh, there needed to be a difference between the Sabbath day and all the other days. It's a day that is set aside, prepared, 
and sanctified from any other day on the weekly calendar. In Exodus 6, 8, God had said of the Hebrew people, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. With the Sabbath command, there was a continuation of what God was doing in sanctifying these people. They were being set apart by the commands that they were given. This idea of portioning off our time uh, really shouldn't be foreign to most of us. You know, we often get at least one day uh, off at the end of the work week. Uh, professional athletes might take a day off for low-level recuperation. And the idea of having time set aside to recover is something that is common to us, but what we are seeing here is a call for a different type of time, time designated for a particular purpose. And that particular purpose was to be a full day unto the Lord your God. Then the commandment tells us how the Israelites were being called to spend their time. You'll see six days shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So we see the structure by which God desires his people to live out the command. He gives them um, the progression of what their week should look like starting with work. They were to take care of all their work during the six days leading up to the Sabbath, and then they were to rest. For others, they'd be working seven days of the week. Uh, they could sell, trade, farm, run their livestock all days of the week. But it would be different for the Hebrews. They were to spend six days working and take caring, taking care of all their matters and then do no work on the Sabbath. But take note of who is intended to rest as well. Uh, the entire household and industry of the person was to shut down for business and shift their focus to the Lord for that day. I mean, can you imagine what that might look like in our day today? And I actually do think of Chick-fil-A. Um, they're a great, honorable company in doing that um, and shutting down on Sundays. But this would have actually further set apart the Hebrew people from all the rest of the surrounding people in the land. Naturally, it would have made a divide between them and others. They would have been closed for business. And so these other nations would see that God's people were intentionally setting aside time to worship him alone if they were properly obeying this command. And not only that, but they were portioning off a full day to do this. We should ask, who was the command intended for? Was the end goal just physical rest for the Israelites? Did God know that humans need rest, and so he just portioned that day off for them for physical rest? The seventh day is a Sabbath to who? The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So again, the progression of the command begins with a command to work, followed by the ceasing of that work, and then finishing with a focus and intentional worship and rest in God. And lastly, the passage shares the why of the command. Why would the Hebrew people dedicate their time and cease their productivity for a full day? The answer we get for this is found in the model that God used when he was creating the world. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So the reason given to his people for his command was not a list of reasons why profitability would increase if they obeyed, or that they would live longer if they obeyed, or that their families would even be stronger if they obeyed this command. The why is because this is how God designed the week to be. It directly reflected and followed the perfect example of work and rest that God had designed in creation. 
Verse 11 ends this way. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's something different about the way God dealt with the Sabbath day in comparison to all other days. He blessed it and he set it apart. He ceased from his own work on that day. But he would not be the only one to enjoy it. Later, after freeing these Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt, God would command that they rest in him on the Sabbath as well. So God was teaching these people through his commandment how to, how to live lives set apart for him. I think when we look at examples of the Sabbath in the Old Testament books, we see a weightiness of it that we may not always see in the New Testament. For example, the Sabbath was an enforced commandment and was taken very seriously by God. There were serious consequences for those who broke this commandment. Deuteronomy 31.13 expresses the high call of keeping the Sabbath. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. So we see that there is such an inherent weight to the commandment and a high level of obedience required to keep it. It really reflected more than just a rule, but it showed that these people who lived by the Sabbath and obeyed God were set apart from all other people by God when it says that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. God was doing the work and setting them apart. We also see what occurred when a person disobeyed. In Numbers 15, we see an example of how the Israelite people were in the wilderness, and they came across a man who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath. They bring him before Moses and Aaron to see what should be done to him because they didn't know what to do. And God calls the man to be stoned to death outside the camp because he broke his command. There's something that seems extreme to us about this when we hear this. It seems unfair or unjust, but in reality, this is what God called according to this commandment, and he would be unjust to not answer this in the way that he said he would answer this disobedience. And a question that naturally arises when faced with this dynamic is, how did we get to a place of such disregard of keeping this commandment? Why is there not more weight that we place on keeping the Sabbath holy for the right reasons? Some of us may still struggle with minimalist thinking here with the Sabbath command. The question in our minds right now might be, this is okay for the Israelites, but do I in 2020 still need to keep the Sabbath in the way that they did in the Old Testament? And I think there may actually be two different questions being asked there. One question we are asking, though, is how little can I do and still get away with meeting this command? When I consider the requirements of the Sabbath command, the one thing that I know for sure that doesn't change is God's confidence in who he is. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 30, and, Le and Leviticus chapter 26, verse 2, are actually saying the same thing verbatim. They say, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. God has never changed, and so part of the dilemma we are faced with here in answering these questions this morning is not whether God has changed his mind on how holy he is, but rather we face the reality that our hearts lack fear of who God is and how holy he truly is. And I'm so guilty of this. I do not have the fear of the Lord as I should. One commentary words it, the Ten Commandments express the character of God who does not change. And these commands are not loose suggestions that are based in simple moral behavior. They are based on the eternal and unchanging character of God. So they will always hold the same weight as the day they were written by God. 
I think it is good to see and feel the weight of this commandment because it helps remove some of the callousness toward the holiness God calls us to. It is good to see the command is weighty because it rises up a thankfulness for all that God has done to bear that weight for us. But I will make a note here in terms of the weight of the command. It can be compared to that mirror analogy that Pastor Leo gave a few weeks ago where he showed that the commandments are a mirror to show us how our faces are dirty, but not a washcloth by which we are cleaned. This was the issue with the Pharisees in the Sabbath and the New Testament. They took this commandment and attempted to wash themselves with it. They They added extra soap by adding extra rules to it. And then they continued to call out the dirt on others, all while completely missing the point of the Sabbath and its intended rest. The weight of the commandment shows that we have a need, a need for holiness that we can never satisfy on our own. So this is the one side of the pendulum, a person who understands the weight of the commandment and then attempts their best at lifting it on their own and then making it their absolute aim to obey it in the strictest way. And as the pendulum swings to the other side, however, we also run the risk of going off track there, too. There are arguments for and against keeping the Sabbath as 21st century Christians. Uh, The argument brings into play the new covenant and the work of Jesus Christ. Something that someone in opposition to keeping the Sabbath might ask is, doesn't keeping a strict guideline on the Sabbath just make you a Pharisee? Are we still bound by the Sabbath commandment? And while this is a good question to ask this morning, I think another question we will ask is, what is the difference between being a Pharisee with the Sabbath and truly desiring to please God in keeping this commandment? Oftentimes, rules can bring thoughts of burden and especially rules that require something of us to give. The Sabbath commandment is not an archaic symbol of holiness. It is relevant and helpful for those who desire to know God and live lives dedicated to him. So what I want us to see in this commandment is that it is not placing a burden on us, but rather the nature of this commandment results in our rest and the lifting of burdens. And this commandment is dual purpose. The first purpose of it is it glorifies God. If there is a most important aspect of this commandment, it is this first point, that God be glorified. The commandment points us to see two things, that God is worthy of our sacrifice of time if we ever doubted it, and that he is worth our focus and our praise, and this is what he is commanding through this law. That phrase, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, is declaring who this is for. The Sabbath is for us, but not solely for us. In other words, the main point of this command is not that we simply get rest from our busy lives. It is not that we feel like better Christians because we make it to church every Sunday. In fact, that thought might be one of the greatest traps of our misunderstanding of this commandment, that we should interpret it, just go to church every week for a couple hours and pay our dues, and that's our Sabbath. And I will bear the bad news for us that concerning this commandment, we don't get participation points for being here this morning. It is that God is glorified in our worship of him. Um, This is the main point, which is much more exciting than that. It is that God is glorified in our worship of him. As we remember him every week, as we intentionally and mindfully refocus our attention, our gaze, our hope, and our hearts on him. Puritan Thomas Watson speaks of the nature of the Sabbath as this. I love this. He says, 
The heart which all week was frozen on the Sabbath melts with the word. This is the purpose of the Sabbath, to give to God a full day of our week in worship and in remembrance of who he is and what he has done to save us. Deuteronomy chapter 5 really recounts um, this fourth commandment. And so verses 12 through 14 are reiterating what we read earlier. But there's an inclusion in the Deuteronomy passage that says this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. And so this passage in Deuteronomy reminds us that our participation in keeping the Sabbath holy is not simply doing zero work and then spending a little time before God. But keeping the Sabbath holy is a matter of our being reminded of who we are and where we came from and God's role in that. For the Hebrew people, their remembrance was Egypt. Uh, They remembered the hard slavery they were under. They remembered the mercy of God to hear their cries that rose to him. They could remember God's miraculous salvation of them from the enemy. This remembrance of God's faithfulness and mercy in their lives was part of their keeping the Sabbath holy. They went hand in hand. The remembrance of what God has done in the lives of people is part of what gives glory to God. That was the case with the Hebrews, and it's the case for us today. And so for us, part of our keeping the Sabbath holy is to be consistently reminded of what God has done for for us in saving us. Simply sitting in the seats for a Sunday morning service and then checking off a to-do checkbox Um, is us settling for a mundane understanding of this commandment. The hope is that we see this commandment not as a burden to be carried once a week, but instead see it as a weekly opportunity to praise and worship God and be reminded of his goodness. Again, the fourth commandment is dual purpose, and it serves a second purpose. One, it it, um, glorifies God, and two, it brings rest to those who keep the Sabbath holy. There's a natural rest that this commandment brings because it brings with it the requirement to do no work when the Sabbath comes. But there's a greater rest that the commandment points to. Let's look back at the way this commandment finishes. Verse 12 speaks of God's creating the world and all that is in it, and it speaks of his rest or his ceasing from his work. And by the way, uh, God did not stop working and rest because he was tired. Um, Instead, there was an intentional, intentional design to his action of separating and blessing a whole day. Our understanding of the origin of the Sabbath does not actually go back to chapter 16 of Exodus. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the world and find its root in the work-rest example of God. Genesis 2-3 states, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God had already designed what the Sabbath day would look like, even before he would command his people to follow it. Something for us to remember is that God rested in himself on that seventh day. There was no one or no thing greater than him for him to rest in and feel complete in. He was already complete in himself. As part of this commandment, there was a requirement to cease work and look unto God. That we would put away the cares of this world and focus on the one that created the world, that created us, that called us to a particular purpose in glorifying him. The root of rest found in the commandment is found in God himself. As God rested, so are his people to rest in him on the Sabbath. 
And as I mentioned before, in the New Testament, we see how the Pharisees handled the Sabbath. Their approach to keeping the commandment was to add on extra rules in order to keep it, things that were not originally part of this commandment. For example, they added a list of items that um, were prohibited to do on the Sabbath, including tying and untying, uh, the writing of two or more letters, the erasing of two or more letters, and even extinguishing a fire. These Pharisees attempt to even condemn Jesus as breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus' reactions really point us back to the purpose of what the Sabbath commandment was intended to do. Jesus' response during one of these run-ins with the Pharisees is the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. These words remind us that the purpose of the Sabbath is not to follow a set of man-made rules, but instead be blessed by what God has designed for us in his rest alone. This commandment is an easy one to break um, because it does not only point to a physical rest, but also to the state of the heart and mind. If we were only called to stop working, most of us would probably be able to accomplish that commandment pretty easily. Just take a day off. But the Sabbath is also pointing toward a deeper rest than physical. It is pointing toward the eternal rest with God. This is where our efforts will do us no good. We cannot create an eternal rest for ourselves. With every effort we make to take care of our own soul, we will tire ourselves out more and more. There is good news for us in this, though. If God had not made a way for us to rest in him, we would continue to strive for nothing. But God did make a way for rest in the person of Jesus Christ. When we think about our rest, we cannot separate it from Jesus Christ and the work that he has done in our place. Our ultimate rest is the eternal rest to come. We, we will spend eternity with God. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will spend eternity with God. And yet what are ways that we can experience this rest even now? How can we learn to rest in the Lord on a weekly basis and really on a daily basis? Leviticus 23.3 reads, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. This word used as convocation is really driving at the idea of an assembly. So no one in the family or in the workforce was to spend their energies working and laboring, but rather as a group of people spend that time praising God and making much of him. That would be the ideal model of that. When we come together on Sunday, we are doing a number of things. We sing songs to worship him. We worship him through his word as we hear what he desires of our lives. And we are encouraged and sharpened in different ways in fellowship with one another. Even the point of congregational call, as Uncle Cred led today on Sundays, is to help engage our hearts to finally slow down and focus on God, to usher us into worship. This brings a rest to us to gather in this way, as we allow our hearts to be retuned to what God has desired for our lives. Rest is not limited to a church service, however. In fact, to our fault, we can be here, but actually be indifferent about worshiping God in the moment altogether. It is not a particular place or day um, that rest occurs on, but rather an honest setting aside of our time to reposition ourselves toward praising and loving God. Again, we have to be aware that we cannot separate this understanding of rest and Sabbath from the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is no rest for us outside the work that he has done. We are not called to treat the Sabbath as a physical rest and to simply observe guidelines that give us a feeling of accomplishment. 
Jesus Christ is the rest that we need, and we will not find it anywhere else. So how does this apply to us today? What are the factors that we need to pay attention to uh, and consider the Sabbath in our own lives, and how can we live it out according to the commandment? Commentator Philip Ryken summarizes it this way. He says, Our fundamental reason for obeying the fourth commandment is not practical, but theological. God made the world in six days, and then he rested. His activity in creation thus sets the pattern for our own work and leisure. What Reichen is saying is that the reason for our following this commandment now, apart from the fact that God commanded it, is that this command finds its root in the example of work and rest designed by himself at creation. He goes on to say, At this point, many Christians still want to know what they can and cannot do on the Sabbath. Our problem is that we find it so hard to take genuine delight in the sanctified pleasures of God. We are willing to spend some time worshiping him, but then we feel like we need a break, and so we go right back to the world's lesser pleasures. But the more we learn to delight in God, the more willing we are to keep his day holy. If we stop and think about the ways that we spend our days during the week and on the weekend, is there anything that truly compares with the time that we get to spend with the Lord? I got the easy task of teaching this commandment on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I'm not going to rank on the event or any of us who enjoy it. I do enjoy it. But I'm just going to use the opportunity to further the point of how we treasure our time and what we consider our rest. And hear me, I am first calling myself out on this. Do I get as excited about resting in God as I do about relaxing with the big game? Do I hurry to paddle out into the surf to catch a little R&R time for myself? Would I be more excited to spend two hours before God or two hours watching Netflix? Nothing will truly give us rest apart from Jesus Christ. And we're reminded of what Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, 28 and 29 when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And just thinking about the Sabbath, um, it's a privilege, um, but we never would fully be able to engage in the truth of the Sabbath if God had not shown his mercy to us through Jesus Christ. It just, we would never be able to get there. We would be striving. Um, we would be taking days off left and right. Um, but Christ is the center of true Sabbath. And I love this verse because it is so clear and encouraging. It is such a helpful answer to the problem we face of our soul's work and rest issue and the balance that comes between the two of those. But most importantly, it solves the problem of our work and rest of our souls. Jesus tells us to come to him. He says, you who are tired and weary and have worked yourself down, come. He says he will give us rest. It is in Jesus that we will find rest for our souls. So again, asking a question from earlier, how do we rest? And why is it important that we ask ourselves this question? It seems that the answer to this question will determine the way we spend the rest of our lives. Is there a possibility that how we rest points back to the way that we work and carry out tasks and relate to our neighbors? 
And is it a possibility that the way that we slow down and refocus on the Lord will actually better enable us to live out the calling that God has put before us? I know for myself that if I'm not resting in the Lord, I will also not work for the Lord and love people out of that rest in the Lord and push toward knowing him more. I will tire myself out spiritually, emotionally, and physically and have nothing to give others. The book of Hebrews points to the final rest of those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. The ultimate Sabbath is us trusting Jesus Christ with our eternity. To stop laboring in our own attempts at righteousness, but instead trust in the righteousness and work of Jesus Christ will bring about the rest that we need and we desire. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Um, God, again, I thank you that, Lord, your Sabbath is a command that we may know you better through, Lord that you made a way um, for us to be able to, to rest both physically, but Lord, um, for eternity through Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for our sins and who was raised to life, Lord. And I pray that we um, would think through um, ways in which Um, God, we are not honoring the Sabbath, Lord, and that it wouldn't be a burden, God, but that we would gladly lay it down, that we would gladly go um, to you, Lord, that we would ask for your help in getting before you um, to love you more, to know you more, God. And Lord, I thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.